Well, good, good morning. Good to be here. Good to just really thrilled to have this opportunity to again teach from God's Word because in it contains all we need for life in the kingdom. Over the last few weeks, if you discount Brexit and Donald Trump, I would imagine that the most watched news piece was the story of the boys um, and the cave in Thailand. People, I think, were shocked when they saw the first pictures of where they were. And then perhaps amazed at the incredible ingenuity and efforts that were made to get them out. And finally, probably with a bit of disbelief that they actually all came out with their teacher, relatively unscathed, safe and well. Now, if you were to roll back the clock just over 50 years to December 1967. The piece of news that captured everybody's attention came not from Thailand, but from South Africa. Because in South Africa, in a hospital theatre, Christian Barnard had just carried out the first human-to-human heart transplant. And people were shocked. They were amazed. There was... They thought at that time that it was more about science fiction than in the real world. It was just so incredible. Indeed, I, I, I picked up a quote from the doctor himself which I thought was quite amusing. He's quoted as saying this, I've seen the insides of many chests, but I'd never before seen a human being who was alive without a heart. He said, I will never forget looking into that empty chest. It was weird. But it was amazing. But this morning we're going to wind back the clock even further, nearly two and a half thousand years before that, to the year 586 BC and to the city of Babylon. And God's people had been captured and taken away in exile. They were held there hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, their city, and their temple was in ruins. And I just wonder if there was the same kind of reaction when Ezekiel announced the news of a completely different type of heart transplant. A transplant not of physical muscle that pumps blood around our bodies, but of the heart of our inner personalities. 
including our minds, our will, and our emotions. Here, here is what he said. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord. When I am proved holy through you before their eyes, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So this morning, I want just to look at that statement. Sometimes we read these things and we don't think deeply about them. But this morning, what I want us to do is just to to look at this statement that God has given us a new heart and put his spirit in us. Not to work out how he does it, but rather just to unpack it through some verses in the New Testament and to look at some of the outcomes that God expects from our new hearts. And we're going to begin in John chapter 3. Quite a well-known story. We'll just read a few verses from verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus one night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God was not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But, said Nicodemus, how can a man be born when he is old? Surely he can't enter into a second time into his mother's womb and be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You may hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're a teacher of Israel, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Jesus goes on to challenge Nicodemus, I think, on his understanding of the Jewish scriptures. And then goes on to explain that as well as being born in a physical sense, it is also necessary for a person to be born by the Spirit or born from above. And that person who is born from the Spirit comes under the control and influence of God's Spirit. I think that's just another way of Jesus explaining explaining that God gives people new hearts and puts his, his, His Spirit in them. So we're just going to look at a few more verses 
from the New Testament. And now look at some of the outcomes from that incredibly generous gift that God has given to us through the death of his son, Jesus. And so our next verse is in John chapter 10, this time verse 27. And Jesus is speaking, and he makes a fairly simple, simple statement. He says this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So one outcome is a new voice. The capacity to hear a different voice. No longer simply to act on the basis of our human wisdom or human desire, but now with a new heart, we have the potential to hear God's voice and to follow his direction for our lives. Now, nowadays, God's voice is most clearly heard through reading the Bible. And for us as Christians, it is our final authority. So it's important to read it and to read it regularly. But also to expect that God's going to actually speak to you as you read it. It's not enough to come to the, your Bible reading just to get information or just to get a tick in the box saying, I've done today's reading. It's important that we understand that through the Bible, God's going to speak specifically to us and we need to learn to listen for that voice as we read our Bibles. All scripture, it say, the Bible says, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and, and training in righteousness. But we also read, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's a practical outcome in our lives as we listen to the voice. But we can also hear the voice of God through other people. In Ephesians, we read that Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip people for works of service. And it's really encouraging that over the last few months, a good number of people have been taking training to learn, to hear God's voice, to hear God speaking so that they can, in turn, speak into the lives of other people and give them guidance from God. But those of us who were here a couple of weeks ago, there was another story from Mission Mania when Dad told us about the, the young nine-year-old boy, I think it was, uh, who dreamt that he saw Jesus and Jesus spoke to him through his dream. Amazing. And God speaks through dreams and visions. Sometimes I think I sleep too soundly for that to happen to me. But, but he does. I've heard so many testimonies about it. And we've had that one 
in our own church, in our own time. But he also speaks through random events. And I can tell you about one of them. It happened a good number of years ago. Margaret and I were still young enough to stay up late with students when they came home in the holidays. Um, and it was a time when say, the milkman still delivered milk and a newspaper to our door, so it was a wee while ago. Um, but one new year, we, had been, we were actually visiting friends and the students were there and the usual programme was some board games, a nice supper and then into some serious chat. And it was just about the time that we were thinking about building the Medigreen Centre and they wanted to know all about it and we started to tell them and then they started to ask all the awkward questions like, well, how do you know it's God's voice? How do you know he's guiding you to do that? How do you know that that's the right plan? What if it all goes wrong? Hmm. Typical students, eh? <laughs> really put spanners in the work. Well, we went home late. Early in the morning, I suppose. And the next day... Um, I wrote in my journal at that time, next morning, I have a strange experience. Pick up the newspaper out of the letterbox and manage to tear a few corners off it as I do it. Read the paper, then I thought, maybe I should just check these corners to see if there's anything important you know, on them, you see. So I looked at them, came to the, first, the, front, the front page one, just an advert on the front page, turned it over. It was the Glasgow Herald at that time. On the bottom left-hand corner of the Glasgow Herald was verse for the day. Jeremiah 29 and 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Absolutely amazing is what I wrote in this journal. God speaks so clearly. How can we doubt? He knows I don't need to know. Just need to trust. So be prepared to be surprised by random events because God can speak to you through them. But with our new hearts, we can not only hear a new voice, but we can experience a new peace, which is our next outcome. If we can have the next slide. <laughs> Thanks, Lloyd. Good. Um, Jesus himself speaks to his disciples just before his crucifixion, and this is what he says, peace. I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then Paul writes these words to some new disciples in a local church which was located in present-day Turkey. Let the peace of Christ 
rule in your hearts as members of one body. You were called to peace. This new peace that comes with our new heart is to be evidenced in two ways. First of all, we are to be at peace. And secondly, we're to make peace. This new peace is to be a defense against the anxiety and fear brought about by circumstances. Now for the people in Paul's day, that could be imprisonment. It could be persecution. It could even be death. It's different for us. But we still get anxious. We still fear. Could be unemployment. Could be serious illness. But if we have a new heart and we live out of our new hearts, then we can know that the peace that we have in our hearts transcends all understanding and it will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. But we have to live out of our new hearts. And this new peace is also to be used to make peace. The verse in Colossians tells us that as members of one body we're called to peace. As human nature often likes to have the last word. To hold personal opinions to express them strongly, to defend what is ours, to stand up for what we see as our rights, and so on. And so it's inevitable that in any community there's going to be conflicts and disagreements. God calls us to step into these situations when we find them and when we can and bring peace and make peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. So if you like to be called a child of God, you need to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes, I was just thinking there, and this really shows my age, I suppose, there was a, there was a very popular program on about tea time called Happy Days. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but um, one of the characters in that was the Fawns. And one of his catch lines was, I was... Mm-mm. Because he couldn't say he was wrong. But sometimes to make peace, we have to say we're wrong. And the other person is right. And it's important to remember that. So we hear a new voice. We experience a new peace. And now, 
as we go to Romans chapter 5, verse 5, we find that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Quite close to what Ezekiel predicted thousands of years before. A new heart and a new spirit and a new love. We're told to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all your strength and with all our mind and to love our neighbor as ourself. The early Christians were encouraged to love one another deeply. And Jesus even went so far as to say that we had to love our enemies. I don't think anyone would put their hand up to saying that they achieved that in full. But simply because God has poured his love into our hearts, there is that potential and there is that capacity to love as Jesus did. He once told a story about a man who travelled down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Along the way, he was mugged and left half dead. Along came a couple of devout Jews. One was a priest, one was a Levite. They saw the man in distress and then walked to the other side of the road and passed by. That's what you see a lot of people doing to big issue sellers if you, if you closely watch them. But that's what he did. This guy's lying half dead and he just walked on past. Then along came a Samaritan. Not the most popular person around these parts. And he saw the man. He took pity on him, went to him, bandaged him, poured oil and wine, got the man in his donkey, took him to the inn, paid for him to stay at the inn and told the innkeeper if it's any more than that I'll come back and settle up with you. So Jesus asked the question which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the answer came back quite clearly well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus simply said, okay, well, go and do likewise. And the love that God puts in our hearts is a love that sees a need and responds to it. We are to be the kind of people that when people need help, they know they can come to us. There are always these go-to people around 
where you know that if you need something, either in the street or elsewhere at home, um, you know you can go there and, and they'll sort it. That's the kind of people God calls us to be as he pours his love into our hearts. And yet, if we're really honest, we often find ourselves pretending not to have seen the need. And even more often, finding excuses not to respond. And we need to listen and act out of our new heart more. Heidi Baker is a missionary in Mozambique, but she spent some time in Hong Kong. And in one of her books, she records just some thoughts about her experiences in Hong Kong. And she says, I started to walk the back alleys of Kowloon and Jesus opened my eyes. It was as if I was seeing for the first time. Old ladies huddled under bridges, lonely men dressed in plastic bags, addicts lying on the cement under trees. And this is what she said. God expanded my heart and let me feel just a small part of his compassion. I cancelled all our big meetings and began working with the poor. He's called us to see what he sees, she says, and to do what he, do, he does. And our testimony is, and because he has called us to do this there is always enough for the need everyone who's been given a new heart by God has the capacity to love as Jesus did because he has filled a new heart with his love and that love transcends any love we were ever capable of Hearts have been changed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. From hard to tender. From resilient to responsive. And we've been given the opportunity to show love to the people we encounter. And as we take these opportunities, however small, however simple, I believe God will expand our hearts and develop our ministries to the poor and to the brokenhearted. Two verses as we go to our last outcome. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus promises his followers that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And Paul's prayer 
for the new believers in Ephesus is that they might know that incredibly great power for us who believe that is the same as the mighty strength that was evidenced when God raised Christ from the dead. And with our new heart, we have the potential and the capacity to see the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That was Nicodemus's question. How can this be? You're doing things that only God can do, he said to Jesus. And Jesus was just a man to him at that time. In Acts 10 and 38, Luke tells us that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. I remember Tom Bathgate um, coming as part of the salt mine team to Troon um, back in the day and he told this story. I don't really don't know if it's true but it's got truth in it. And it was about a, an old worthy preacher from Grangemouth who was talking about this verse and his comment on it was simply this. Jesus went about doing good. Mostly we just go about. We are God's handiwork, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. That's our calling. That's our commission. And we've been given the power and potential to fulfill that calling in our lives and even to do what Jesus said his followers would do. His words, not reading between the lines, truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, the works that Nicodemus was amazed by, and they will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. One quote from a magazine from Christ, uh, called Christianity Today, and it has an article on uh, the first 500 years of church history. And one of the quotes is this from Irenaeus of Lyon, in 180 AD. This is well after Paul had been writing after the New Testament times. And here's his statement. For some do certainly and truly drive out devils so that they have been thus cleansed from evil spirits, frequently both believe and join themselves to the church. Others have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions, utter prophetic expressions, Others still heal the sick by laying hands on them, and they are made whole. Yea, moreover, as I have said, the dead even have been raised up and remained among us for many years. We also do hear many brethren in the church who possess prophetic gifts and who through the Spirit speak all kinds of languages. 
Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It happened then. It still happens now. And those who have a new heart have the power and the capacity not only to do good works, but to to do the works that Jesus did. And one final slide, which I've entitled, A New Birthright. Paul, at this time, is an old man, and he's writing to his young son in the faith, and this is what he says to him. For God, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And as we've looked at these verses this morning from the New Testament, to try and understand just what God had in mind when he promised he would give his people a new heart and put a new spirit in them, we've discovered that the heart is a heart of flesh instead of stone, that it's tender and responsive, that it can listen to God's voice, that it can be ruled by God's peace, It has had God's love poured into it and it possesses incredibly great power. I believe that's the birthright of all who trust in Jesus and who have this new spirit, the Holy Spirit in them. But Paul also adds another thing, self-discipline. This takes us back to the pesky free will that Debbie was talking about last week. Because for some reason, God still lets us choose how to live. So the challenge for us this morning is, do we fully appreciate our birthright? Or are we a bit like Esau in the Old Testament who, when he came in hungry after being out all day hunting, asked his brother to give him some food. And his brother asked him in in reply to sell him his birthright. And Esau did just for a bowl of lentil stew. Because he thought his birthright was worthless. So how do we view our birthright? Do we value it? Do we invest in it? Or are we often tempted to trade it for short-term gain? Short-term popularity. Short-term material success. Short-term relationships. Or whatever. I will give them a new heart and put my spirit in them, says the Lord. Let's just take a few minutes of quiet reflection. Do read the quote from Winston Churchill. That was a rallying cry at the beginning of the Second World War. 
but I think it's a good rallying cry for just now as well. And after a few minutes, a few moments rather, rather than minutes, um, Mairead and the band will come, lead us in a final song of worship, and then I'll come back with a final prayer. Thank you.